Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that the real objective of the Christian life is to know your God, that that is why we are here. We are here to know our God. And, of course, there is a limitation that I have concerning this subject. I can tell you about him, but I cannot help you to actually know who he is. He is the only one who can truly reveal himself to you. I can direct you towards him. I can tell you about who he is so that you can know about him. But there is a difference between knowing about him and actually knowing him in a deep and personal way. Now, I have done a couple of messages on this subject. If you were to contact me or go to my website, you'll find the messages titled Hearing from the Spirit and the Role of the Spirit of Truth. Again, that's Hearing from the Spirit and the Role of the Spirit of Truth. And that is my best attempt to describe the initial relationship that we experience with him as we have mutual personal interaction with him because of the truth that he reveals to us in a personal context during the circumstances of life that we are often faced with. In those circumstances, he'll quite often reveal something about himself to us. And when that happens to you personally, I believe it's an opportunity for you to recognize that you are growing to know him in a greater way. So I would like to refer you to those programs. But in this program, I would like to continue to deal with the issue, the important issue of understanding that people do not want to believe that they have been completely forgiven and that there are reasons why people do not want to believe that they are totally forgiven. I want to continue with this, but I want to continue with this from a different point of view. In this program, I'd like to address these reasons from the perspective of trying to take away these barriers that people are faced with that prevents them from resting in the complete forgiveness of sins. And so I'm going to be changing my approach for the next few programs to deal with the barriers, the specific barriers that prevent people from resting in the forgiveness that they have. Now, when I speak about forgiveness with people, it's not unusual for someone to respond to me by saying, Aaron, I think you're giving people a license to sin. This is a very common phrase that people use, and so I would like to take the opportunity in this program to really address this phrase, this defense, this reason why people do not want to believe in complete forgiveness. Now, inherently, the reason behind it is is that people do not want to give others an excuse to continue to sin. And I did address that from that point of view in the previous program, and so I'm not going to try to do that again in this program. Instead, I'm going to talk about this phrase, this phrase, license to sin, and show you, I'm going to show you that those who accuse me of giving people a license to sin, they are the ones who are truly giving people a license to sin. 
Listen, when I tell people that God does not hold their sins against them, and he will never hold their sins against them, they may use that as a reason to continue to sin. I understand that. Like I said in the previous program, there are people who will use the grace of God for a purpose that he did not intend. And to use the grace of God as an excuse to sin because there is no punishment that will be executed towards them ever again is a misuse of that truth. I understand that that's the case, and of course I will not stop teaching the truth just because some people will misuse it or abuse it. I think it's more important to still stay true to what the Lord God has revealed and allow those consequences to be issues that he personally will deal with and they will deal with. That is not my concern. Now, something I want to point out concerning this is that regardless of whether a person has an excuse, if they have an excuse or if they don't have an excuse, it doesn't matter. You may not believe this, but they will sin anyway. People sin whether they have an excuse or not. Now, I personally believe that they will find a way to justify it in their own minds before they commit it. But even so, the point is, is that regardless of what I say, I am not going to increase the amount of sin that people commit. People commit sin because they want to, not because I tell them that it's okay or not okay. I am not the one who is at fault here. They are going to be responsible for their own sins. They're not going to be able to go before the Lord and say, well, Aaron said that you wouldn't punish me if I committed sin, and so I just went ahead and sinned. That isn't going to go over very well between them and their God if this discussion takes place. Everyone is responsible for their own sin, and the reason why people sin is because they want to. And if I tell them something that they misuse or misunderstand, and they use that in order to justify their sin, whether they justify it or not, they're still going to commit it. Now, I'm telling you this so that you will understand that nobody is going to lose anything if they come in contact with this truth. No one is going to sin any more or any less if they know that the Lord Jesus has forgiven them of all of their sins, because they're going to do it anyway. Let me describe it in this way. Have you noticed, I mean, seriously, if you were to really try to be as honest as possible, have you noticed that the people in the church are the same as the people in the world? I mean, haven't you noticed? Haven't you noticed that this pursuit of trying to overcome sin is a total, colossal failure? I mean, haven't you noticed it? I understand that people are still trying, but give it some more time and you'll realize that they're going to fail too. That the number of failed marriages within the church is the same as the number of failed marriages that are in the world with lost people. That the number of sins that people commit in the church are the same as the number of sins that people commit in the lost world. If you don't know this, then chances are you don't spend a lot of time with worldly people, and maybe you ought to, so that you'll find out that they're just like you, and they're just like the other people you hang out with. They may use a different vocabulary. They may certainly reject the existence of God. But in the way that they treat other people, it's very much the same. With some exceptions, of course. Let me give you an example. When it comes to business, if somebody presented themselves to me in the past when I was involved in various business enterprises, if somebody presented themselves to me as a Christian, as if that was going to give them greater credibility, not their integrity, not their references, but instead their faith, then I had the suspicion, and it was quite often confirmed, that they were going to find a way to take advantage of me, that they were going to try to find a way to cheat me. 
this is a reality that people believe that because they identify themselves as a Christian, then that gives them special privileges to take advantage of other Christians. And in this context, you could say that Christians sin more than people in the world. This doesn't always happen, of course. I'm just giving you an example that the people in the church are very much like the people in the world. It has always been that way, and it will probably always be that way, at least as long as people continue to teach this stuff that they are teaching, that simply is not true. It sounds good, but it's not true. Now, concerning the license, again, this notion of having a license to sin. Of course, as I just explained, people don't need a license to sin. They're doing just fine without a license. There's no need for us to give them a license. But for people to make this accusation that I'm giving them a license... What is a license? I mean, what does this really mean to say that? I mean, does it just sound good that you can put a label on somebody and say you're that kind of a person who gives somebody a license to sin and so you are evil? No. What does this word really mean? Well, consider a common license that people use. I like to use the driver's license as an example because many people have a driver's license and many people can relate to this. When you are given a driver's license... You have a license to drive, which in a sense says that you have permission to drive on the public roads. If you wanted to drive on your own personal private road on property that you own, it's not likely that you need a license. But if you're going to drive on the public roads, then you need to be licensed. And what this license means to the people is it means that they know the rules and the laws that govern the road, so that people don't get into accidents and cause problems such as that, so that people will drive in a very safe way, so that others will have a minimized risk of becoming injured because of your negligence or because of the way that you handle your automobile. These rules and regulations are normally set up in place for the purpose of maintaining public safety. So from the people's perspective, the license is important because it gives evidence to show that you have been tested and someone has confirmed that you will conform to the rules that have been established in order to ensure the safety or to at least minimize the amount of problems that people are going to have on the road. Now, from the government's point of view, it's a little bit different. From the government's point of view, what it means is that if you fail to observe the laws that have been established, then you're going to experience a penalty for violating those laws. So technically, the license describes not only your privileges, describes not only what you can do, but it also describes what you cannot do, and it describes the penalty that you will receive in the event that you fail to obey the laws. That's what a license is. It is the description of the laws that you are to live by and the penalty that you are to experience in the event that you violate those laws. This is very similar to the law of Moses. The Lord gave us laws. He said, this is what you can do. This is what you are supposed to do, and this is what you are not to do. If you do this, then we're going to call that sin, and there will be a penalty that you will experience in the event that you violate the law. So the license is nothing more than another system of law. That's what a license is. And I am definitely not teaching people another system of law with penalties associated with these laws. I'm not giving people licenses. I'm not giving them anything. 
not in that context, in the context of what the word truly means and what that phrase really means in the society we are in and in the world and in the entire history of humanity. This notion of a license to do something has meaning to it, and I certainly don't fit into that category at all. Instead, the ones who are accusing me of giving people a license to sin, those are the ones who are giving people a license to sin. Again, please pay attention to this, that people who accuse me of giving others a license to sin are the very people, they are the ones who are truly giving others a license to sin. And this is how. What they do is they say, this is your Christian life. Very similar to, this is driving a car. To be a Christian means that you do what you're supposed to do, and you don't do what you're not supposed to do. And they give you this list of all the things that you're supposed to be doing, and all the things you're not supposed to be doing, and it is explained to you very clearly that if you violate any of the laws that they express to you that could quite likely be in the law of Moses or a law that they have extracted or a commandment or ordinance or guideline or who knows what they may call it, principle, something like that, anything like that that they can perhaps extract from the New Testament, whatever they extract, whatever they come up with, this is how it's going to sound. It's going to be, this is the Christian life. You live a life of trying to stop sinning. This is what you do, this is what you don't do, and if you violate these commands or these principles or these ordinances or these recommendations, you know, whatever they want to call it, if you violate these, then your God will hold this sin or these sins against you. But don't worry, don't worry. You can still obtain forgiveness for those sins. Now, what do you mean you can still obtain forgiveness for those sins? How does that come into play? Well, when you drive, if you violate any of the laws, you experience a penalty, right? You experience a penalty if somebody discovers that you violated the law who has authority. They'll direct you to pull to the side of the road, and they will issue you something called a ticket. They'll give you a ticket. And what this ticket describes is the penalty that you are to experience because you violated the law that was described by your license. So also in the Christian world, people will say, this is the law, and if you violate it, then you are going to experience a penalty. And what is this penalty? This penalty can be described in a number of ways, but the penalties always have the same thing in common, and that is that God holds your sins against you. Do you hear me? God holds your sins against you. That's what the penalty is going to mean. And this can be expressed in a number of very creative ways. You know, things like, he won't provide you with that business opportunity that he was wanting to provide for you. Or he may not provide you with that opportunity to get the job that you really wanted to get. Or he may decide to cause some serious malfunction in your automobile or in your home or something like that. He'll cause some problems. He'll send some angels to cause some problems in your life, to go in and divinely intervene, to let you know that he's really disgusted with you because of the sins that you committed. These are some of the creative ways that people describe the ticket, the penalty that is associated with this license that they're giving people. But just like the ticket that you would receive 
when you violate the laws that are described in your driver's license, you can pay that fine. You can pay the fine that is given through the ticket, and then what do you do? You continue to drive. So also in your Christian life, don't worry if you get ticketed by God or by your pastor or some spiritual leader or your accountability partner or whoever has that responsibility in your life to hold your sins against you, to put you to shame because of your sins, whoever this person may be, don't worry. They will give you the opportunity to pay the fine. And what's the fine? Do you hear what I just said? That you will be given a fine of some kind for your violation of your license to live the Christian life. You will be given a fine because you violated the laws associated with living the Christian life, and you will just have to pay that fine. And But don't worry, when you do, then you'll be able to continue to live the Christian life. So it is not I who am giving people a license to sin. It is them, those who accuse me of such, those are the ones that are giving people a license to sin. The description of the rules and regulations and laws that a person lives by. The directive to live the Christian life in obedience to these laws. And then they will receive a ticket of some kind, an observation, a recognition, an acknowledgement that they failed to live in obedience to whatever commands were issued to them, in which case a fine will be levied, and if a person pays the fine, then they can proceed to continue to live the Christian life and do this again and again and again. And I'll come back to this notion of doing it again and again and again in just a moment. But first, I want to emphasize this point, that you will experience a fine. What is the fine? It is confession. That's the fine. There certainly are other fines that people impose, but in general, it's confession. All you have to do is acknowledge that you have sinned, express that acknowledgement to God, and repent, of course, turn away from it, promise that you'll never do it again. Yeah, right. Promise that you're never going to do it again or just turn away from it and then ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Again, ask for forgiveness and then he will give you forgiveness. Now, what do you mean ask for forgiveness? What do I mean by that? That means that you don't have forgiveness and you are now asking for what you don't have. But when you do, you will receive it. What did you just do? You just declared that you have not been completely forgiven by God through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. You have just publicly confessed and declared to God that when he died for your sins, he didn't die for all of your sins. That's what you have done. You have just rejected His death on the cross. You have rejected the truth that you have been totally forgiven. Instead, what you have done is you have reduced the seriousness of sin. You have reduced the seriousness of sin to suggest that it is not that bad. It's not that evil. It doesn't require the death of God. It doesn't require that. It just requires your apology. That's all that's really required. That, my friend, is evil. But that is the license to sin, and that's what people are teaching. 
So this is what's important to understand, and that is that there are people who believe that I am telling others that they have a license to sin, but the truth is is that they are the ones who are teaching people that they have a license to sin. What does this lead a person into? It leads them into a life of sin, confession, and forgiveness, which then leads them again to sin, confession, and forgiveness, sin, confession, forgiveness, sin, confession, forgiveness, which I like to refer to as wandering around in the wilderness. That's what that means to me, that a person is wandering around in the wilderness because there is no way, it is not possible for them to ever stop sinning, so it is impossible. There is no way for them to ever enter in to God's rest. There is no way for them to enter into his peace. There's no way to enter into the promised land that was foreshadowed by the promised land of Israel through the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. This is the exact same thing. So if you ever wonder why it is that you feel like you're just wandering around in the wilderness, just waiting, waiting for the day when you might actually begin to have some kind of personal relationship with your God, chances are it's because of this. Chances are you are living on the basis of sin, confession, and forgiveness, sin, confession, and forgiveness, wandering around in this wilderness thinking that it's the Christian life, but it's not. Now, I did speak about this when I taught verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3 and in Hebrews chapter 4, and I would like to refer you to those programs that I did on Hebrews chapter 3 and on Hebrews chapter 4. I spoke about the importance of believing in what Jesus has already done for you. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews then refers to entering into his rest with reference to the Sabbath law. He uses the Sabbath law. But in this case, I just wanted to refer to that. I won't try to get into this subject in this program. Instead, please understand that people are effectively wandering around in their own wilderness because they're not willing to believe in the forgiveness that has already been given to them. And please do not underestimate the importance of this as it relates to the fact that people eventually find themselves in a situation where they are just waiting to go to heaven. I mean, they may believe that the Lord Jesus has provided them with salvation, and even though they are not living in the truth of what they have, they still will probably have a place in the kingdom of God, but they're not going to experience a personal relationship with their God because they're stuck on this. They're stuck on this subject of forgiveness. But this is what a person has to get past. You have to get past this. If you are going to grow in a relationship with your God today on the basis of the truth, because there's no way that you're going to understand or know that your God accepts you until you rest in the forgiveness that he has for you. Because if you don't, you're going to have to continually try to obtain what you already have, which will never happen. Because the only way that you can obtain forgiveness is by the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, which he has already accomplished for you. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. 
Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.